Hey, good morning. Good morning, yes. All right, so almost to Christmas. That's exciting. So uh, our gift to you is Hebrews 13 this morning, uh, wrapping up the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a, a book in the New Testament. All right, so the Bible is broken up into two big categories, Old Testament before Jesus, New Testament. Uh, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are uh, giving the accounts of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. So what we know about Jesus' birth that we celebrate during this Advent season are, are found primarily in, in Matthew and in Luke, giving us the, his birth stories. But, but the Bible is talking all about Jesus. And so this is how actually the end of Hebrews, or this is what the end of Hebrews really is all about, is Jesus. In fact, we believe all of the Bible is about Jesus. So at Church 21, we are all about Jesus. We, we want to hear from him. We want for him to speak. We want for him to change. We want for him to encourage. And so uh, if you're here this morning, you're going to hear a lot about Jesus. Uh, our our series, which we're ending, is I like Jesus, but because many of us like some things about Jesus. Uh, sometimes we, we have four children, my wife and I. When people see our pictures of our kids, they're like, oh, I see a lot of Dwight in their eyebrows, or I see a lot of Jess in like the bottom of the ears, like strange things, right? And, and that's kind of what we do with Jesus. It's like we we like certain parts about Jesus, or we see certain parts that we recognize, but, but the rest of Jesus, we're not sure we're comfortable with, or that we like, or we think is all that cute. But the reality is, is that if you receive Jesus, you receive all of Jesus. You get all of him. And that's good news and challenging news, because there's some parts about Jesus that, I'll, I'll just be honest, there have been parts of, of my life following Jesus that I'm, I will say to him, I really wish you weren't like that. Because I think my idea is a really good idea. I think our culture's idea on this subject is a really good idea. And you seem to disagree with that. And so it takes my heart a long time to get around Jesus's ideas and get behind and, and let him into certain ideas and motivations that I have. So if you're like me, you're going to be challenged this morning by some of what Jesus has to say to us. And that's okay. In fact, it's a good thing to be challenged. If you're always being coddled, if you're always getting a way to go tiger sticker placed on everything that you do, you're probably not going to grow very quickly or in a good direction. You'll plateau at some point. And so Jesus, I believe, wants what's best for us and so wants to speak to our hearts, especially in areas that we don't agree with him in. I think he wants to do that this morning. So uh, we're going to put all the scripture up here on the screen for you as Sandra read for us. And I, I just want to highlight their story. That, that's, that's amazing. What, what Sandra and Vivian were sharing, that's amazing that God would allow for them to engage with those with radically different worldview. And that, that hearts are being softened and being opened up and being willing to hear. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I'm about the things that, that this guy, my name is Dwight, by the way. I don't know if the, the stuff that Dwight is talking about resonates with my heart. That's okay. This isn't a, you need this absolutely in this moment. I, I believe you do, but it's going to take us time to get there, most of us. So uh, let me pray uh, again, and then we'll, we'll get into Hebrews 13. God, you are omnipresent, which means you are everywhere, and you're here with us. You know where each one of us is, is 
You know what each one of us is coming in here with. You know the doubts, the cynicism, the, uh, the, the hypocrisy, the, the greed, uh, the, the good deeds for wrong purposes, or, or we're, we're, we're a funny bunch. We're, we're this, this bag of marbles that are, that are all misplaced. We're strange people. And yet you, you came into this world 2,000 years ago into your own story for us. That you didn't make us to just push us aside. You made us to change us to be just like you, Jesus. So would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you open our, our hearts of doubt and fear and cynicism to embrace who you really are? And would you allow us to see that this morning? So we love you. Help us. Amen. So Hebrews 13, I, I think, I mean, half joking, but kind of think this, that the author of Hebrews that we don't know is going along writing all of this and he realizes, man, I have a lot more to say, but I don't have a lot more paper to say it on, so uh, let's just get it done. And he just sends out tweets, right? 140 characters or less, there's a lot of them in this passage. And so this passage, you could read it as Sandra was reading it, if you were actually following along, you're like, how does he make this jump? How does he connect Jesus to, to this reality? Why would he put this promise connected to this? And I just think that the author of Hebrews is trying to get it all in because this is all good news. And in fact, we can't even look at everything in this chapter this morning. So I'm going to do my best to hit what, I, what it is I think that the Lord wants for us to hear. And, and the first thing is that the author wants for us to persevere after Jesus. Persevere after Jesus. This is what the whole book is about. If there was a subtitle to the book of Hebrews, it would be persevere after Jesus. In Hebrews 13, eight, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus is limitless. He's eternal. He has no end and he has no beginning. Um, he is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is who Jesus is. He enters into human history. And he does this stuff for us. But our, our role is to persevere after him. He is unchanging, but yet he's changing everything else. He is unlike everything else that we're in contact with. Because if, if we go up to something, if I flip this table over, uh, well, things are going to change, right? You're going you're to see change in me. You're going to see anger come out. You're going to see all these things. But Jesus, he... He doesn't change. He interacts with everything for change to actually take place. We're connected to uh, some ancient creeds. One is called the Apostles' Creed. It's been around for a very long time. And I want to read you the Apostles' Creed and, and the piece about Jesus. It says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. This is what we believe about Jesus. This is our synopsis. This is our big idea of who Jesus is. And if we're talking about orthodox faith, this is, this is what a church should believe in about Jesus. The church being the people, not the religious institution, right? That the people believe in Jesus to be this. And that he was born, he was born to suffer. That Jesus was actually born to suffer. He was born with a purpose, 
In, in verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify or change the people through his own blood. Jesus didn't come for a throne on earth. Jesus came to lay his life down. Jesus was born to give himself away. Jesus says in, in the book of Mark that he came to lay his life down as a ransom. He was a ransom payment so that we could be freed. That Jesus came into this world so that we could be brought into his. Hebrews 13, 14. We have no lasting city. I don't care what construction Montreal does on their roads, and it's usually not great, right? It seems like they repave the same piece of street every year. Anyway, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This city being the kingdom of God. This city of heaven that... Revelation, the last book in the Bible, speaks about heaven and earth coming together and everything being remade and reconciled to Jesus and in Christ. That the author of Hebrew wants for us to know that the meaning of life, the meaning of life is Jesus. And that sounds so simplistic, yet it's extremely deep and profound. And in fact, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament says in chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to be exploring the riches and the depth of this good news of Jesus forever. Which means you'll never know everything about Jesus. There's depth to this one who is born and placed in a manger. And what the author of Hebrews says in verse 9, that here we have Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet there's going to be strange teachings that are brought in. This book is written to Jewish Christians, those who have been looking for the Messiah and found him to be Jesus. And so the strange teaching that would be brought in is that, yeah, you can still have Jesus, but you still need to go to the temple. You still need to sacrifice animals. You still need to be circumcised. You still need to follow the law in this way because Jesus is only so good, but your works are gonna make you right with God. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, no. It's not about the temple. The temple is about Jesus. It's not about killing the animals anymore. It's about Jesus. I imagine this, it probably didn't happen, but this is what my mind does, is that as Jesus is laying in this feeding trough for animals and people are, are walking away, have you ever seen Boss Baby or Baby Boss? Right, like everyone leaves and the kid starts talking, right? And that Jesus is laying there and he's like, this is good news for you too, animals, right? You don't have to die anymore. I've come to be a sacrifice in the place of animals. Animal blood, Hebrews says in other places, animal blood can't appease God. Animal blood can't bring forgiveness, but Jesus's blood has come to bring forgiveness for all people for all time. And this strange teaching is that we want to draw people away from Jesus and back into our madman rules and institutions in ways so that we feel, Sandra spoke about feelings, so that we feel like we're righteous because I'm doing the right things. I'm walking in the right way. So God must be pleased with me because of my stuff. The strange teaching is anything that draws our attention, affections, and worship away from Jesus as supreme and the only way to be made right with God. Everything else is strange teaching. So we even do this with Christmas and Easter. Man, I love Christmas. I love Easter even more. I love these two things. But what do we do? 
I took my kids and, uh, and I visited Kris Kringle this week, right? Uh, Santa Claus, Saint Nick, whatever you want to call him. Um, like I bring my kids there and on the way we're talking about who Santa is, right? And, and how this is a part of the way that we can celebrate as a culture. But the true meaning of, of Christmas, though yes, Jesus wasn't born on December 24th, 25th. I get that, okay? But the true meaning of Christmas really is Jesus. We're remembering the incarnation that God became a man. And yet somehow Santa is, is an illustration for me to use with my kids so that I can say, man, isn't Santa a good guy? He wants to give presents out to kids. All the folklore is that. What about Jesus? What does Santa do? Well, Santa points to a better Santa who only gives what's best gifts and the gifts last forever. They don't break. They're not cheap. They're not, you know, one year we went to visit Santa and he gave our kids like placemats. I'm like, I don't really know what they're going to do with these, <laughs> right? They just left like, uh, dad, is this turned into a toy? What is this, right? I don't know. Santa fell down on the job, buddy, but Jesus doesn't, right? Santa's poor gifts point to a better Santa that will bring good gifts and, and for only those who recognize that they're on the naughty list, right? Santa's always asking, have you been a good little boy or girl this year? No, I haven't actually. Well, Jesus says, I, I came because I knew you couldn't be this. So I want to bring you into my kingdom, into my family. The strange teaching is that we drift off into what I think, into my evolving thoughts of who I want Jesus to be. You see, it's easy to say, I like Jesus, but I just want to do what I want. Isn't that easy? I like Jesus, but I'm still going to keep doing the same things. Jesus is like another God, another idol, another whatever, to put on my mantle, to put on my wall, to put on my resume. I like Jesus, but I want to just do whatever it is that I want to do. That's easy. But a disciple of Jesus says this, I like Jesus. I like Jesus, and I'm only going to do what he wants. I like Jesus, and I'm only going to do what he wants. I want to submit my life, my heart, my actions, everything to him. Now, that's not easy. Am I right? That's, that's not easy at all. We're going to fail a lot. Following Jesus is going to be full of failures. And you're going to wonder and you're going to feel, why would God ever want me? Why would God ever want me? How could he love me? Does he know what I do? But the direction, the direction of a follower of Jesus is, is set. That my heart is going to submit to Jesus that my heart is going to submit to Jesus, that my heart is going to submit to his gift of, of grace, and that my heart is going to submit to be conformed to be just like him. So that's, that's what we're set on, right? That's the direction that we're moving in as a follower of Jesus. But what temptations are gonna come in, in the way? What temptations are going to arise in our direction being set to follow Jesus? And what I see in this chapter is that there's five. There's five areas that at some point all of us question the legitimacy of Jesus. That in each one of these topics, we engage with these in every day. And these have the temp tempting power to draw us away from the one that we were made for. So what I want to do is go through these, these five things this morning. These five temptations that will lead us away from the one that we're supposed to persevere after. So the first one has to do with leaders, leaders. 
In our anti-authority culture, we don't like the idea of someone being over us at all, do we? So Hebrews 3, 7 and 17 says this, 7 and 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders. Oh, these are fun words, aren't they? Obey your leaders and submit to them. My favorite words to say at a wedding. Submit, right? So neat. Uh, They give everyone the feels. Uh, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Three words here. Remember, obey, submit. I think that if, if a leader is abusing power, they could say, you need to submit to me because I'm your leader. I think if a husband or wife is abusing power, they would say, you need to submit to me. Didn't you know why God put me into your life to submit to me and everything? You're supposed to be a doormat to be walked upon. Didn't you know, right? If you ever have to say the words, submit to me, you're a bad leader. Because I don't see Jesus coming down and saying, I'm here, baby Jesus is here with a diaper saying, submit to me, right? There's nothing the angels wrote in the sky saying, submit to him. Instead, Jesus comes with, with love and humility. But what we see connected to leaders here, remember, obey, and submit to whom? To those who spoke the word to you. So really what the author of Hebrews is saying is submit to those who are called by God to be in leadership over you with care and affection and love and prayer as they speak the word to you. So really what the author of Hebrews could have said is to submit to the word of God, submit to the Lord and what he has to say. Because leaders, imperfectly albeit, but leaders should point to Jesus. That's what the text says. Right? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Leaders are not people who just get put up on a stage and get to say, be like this. Right? Leaders are the ones that you can follow out of the building. You can see the same stuff that's being spoken about lived out. That the word of God isn't a thing just to hear, be like, ah, yes, I, I, I think that's great. I mentally assent to that. Check. Amazing. It's a truth that then gets lived out. This is what the incarnate means. God didn't just say, like, wouldn't it be a great idea to have a redeemer? He comes and he embodies being a redeemer and lives this out for us in our place. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is remember, obey, submit to the leaders who point you to Jesus. Consider their life, imitate their faith. Because if the leaders here, all right, I'm gonna speak for us here, Church 21. If the leaders at Church 21 don't point you to Jesus, then leave now. Get out now. Get out while you can. Because when the light of Jesus goes out, it's all bad news from there. When the message becomes something other than the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, bad news is coming. When we try and make a a movement of God into an institution and we talk about remember when and we put up plaques about remember that day when that thing happened and we're always looking back to the things that God did in our midst at one point, surely it's gonna die in the future. Because we look back at our savior, but we look forward into our city and into the community that could be and that Jesus is still moving. 
It's not about this one little thing that's happened in 2018. It's about the things that Jesus is gonna do next year and the year after that and the year after that. Leaders, we need people to lead us because we will blow it. Man, so many of us don't submit our lives to real spiritual authority because we're afraid of it. We're afraid of what could happen because spiritual authority has abused their authority. You read through history, spiritual authority has abused their authority. But just because spiritual authority has been abused in one place doesn't mean that we shouldn't still submit to it because this is what the Lord has actually said is good for us. And we need people to lead us because we're gonna blow it. Paul and Peter, they're pretty big names in the New Testament, but they were all about Jesus. And Peter blows it. Peter decides that he's gonna eat with one group alone. He's going to be racist in a sense. And what does Paul do? Paul calls him out on it. Paul brings the gospel to him. Paul leads him back into the way that Peter's supposed to be living. This is why leaders are there. Leaders aren't there so that we get a position after our name or before our name. In fact, when people call me Pastor Dwight, it makes me feel so awkward because I'm just, I'm just Dwight, I'm a servant of Jesus, that, that's it. And, and I wanna lead you to Jesus, not to me. I don't want you to submit to me, I want you to submit to him. I want you to submit to what he has for you because at points, if you're like me, you're going to want what's not best for you. You're gonna to wanna to veer away and leaders are placed in your life for your good. Leaders are signposts to where Christ is leading. If you, well, you did arrive here this morning, congratulations. It's not an if statement, it's when you arrived. When you arrived this morning, you should have seen signs. Welcome to Church 21. You should have seen an arrow. Those signs are there to point you here. Leaders are, are like signs. Leaders are signposts that, that point you back to Jesus, that when you wanna wander off into some strange teaching or some strange belief or to be ruler or master of your own universe, leaders are there to say, ah, no, this way. Like Jesus is this way, not, not here. And lovingly, we'll stand in front of the door. I worked with mentally challenged kids for many years and, uh, and there would be times where we'd have to keep kids in their room because of the damage that they would do to other people. And we would have to sometimes restrain kids. We were authorized by the state to restrain kids. And man, I felt so bad every time needing to restrain a child down. And yet I knew that this was for their good, that I was mandated, trained, and empowered to do this for their good and for the benefit of all around them. Now, I don't wanna physically restrain anyone and I, I don't think I ever will, right? but it's the idea that I wanna restrain you from walking into the strange teaching. You're gonna to have to get around me as your leader. I love you so much and there's, there's bad news over here. There's cliffs over here. You, you will dismantle and destroy your faith and the faith of your family if you go over there. And I love you so much to say, no, you're not going there. You can't believe that. This is who Jesus is. And you would say, ah, oh, you're so oppressive. Right? My kids, they don't know the word oppressive yet, but they say those types of things. You don't love me. And I'm like, you don't know how much I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't put you in this place. I wouldn't make you go through this. 
Right now it's math. It's like the purgatory of math for my kids. It's like times tables and division. It's like, you don't even love me, man. I'm like, division is good for your soul. You, learn to, you need to learn division. And then he's like, you know, what's 300 divided? I'm like, this is about you, not me. Don't use examples, right? But I do this because I love you. And as leaders, you're gonna feel that. Or as people within the church, you're gonna feel that at times. You're gonna feel like, you're not loved because we don't want you to go over here. But that's, that's because we're submitting to the word of God. We need to show you, according to the Bible, why this isn't good for you. Not just, well, this is Dwight's idea, or Brian's idea, or Mike's idea, or David's idea. This is Jesus' idea. A lot of conversations I, I have and people are arguing with me, I'm like, have you argued with Jesus about this? Because this is his idea, not mine. It's like, go home, argue with him, let's meet after that. This is why we have leaders. How can you help your leaders? We need help. How can you help your leaders? Man, be open. When we, when we meet with you, um, I meet with so many of you, right? And, and it's not to sit down and be like, so are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? It's like, man, how's life going? If you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, if you're challenged, would you be open and be like, hey, now that I've got you in the room, we have pizza, right? Um, could I talk to you about some difficulties I'm having with believing Jesus on these things? Man, be open. We would love that. Don't go home listening to the lie. They don't care about me. They didn't ask about this. Like, I'm not a mind reader. The Lord doesn't give me a deck of tarot cards to, to come to you with and be like, oh, that's what's really going on, right? You need to be open. We need to be open with one another. If you're gonna fight with, with me or one of the leaders, fight with your Bible. Like, this is why you're wrong. Da, 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 da. Wow, all right. Like, let's, let's not fight with ideas that we have and we've concocted. Let's, let's disagree and have conflict around scripture. That's good conflict because it's not about either one of us. It's about what he has to say. How can you help leaders? Make yourself known, right? Hey, Dwight, I'm so-and-so. We haven't met before. Uh, do you have any time for coffee? Man, that'd be great. That'd be great. You know, make yourself known, available. And then how can you help leaders? Would you pray for us? Sometimes leading sucks, just being honest. Sometimes leading really sucks. Sometimes the, the people that we meet with for their best, and we know it's for their best, and, and we just leave those meetings being called, well, many fun names. And other ones we know are under there. And yet that's part of the calling. So would you pray for us? Jesus thinks it's a really good idea to have leaders in his church. And we're gonna honor some of the leaders at the end this morning. But a temptation along the way is to be leaderless. I'm my own leader. I'm gonna be my own pastor. I'm gonna be my own elder. And actually, that's, that's not biblical. You can't read the Bible and arrive at that conclusion. Uh, second area is with the church. What temptation comes along the way? Well, to be churchless, to be churchless. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love, all right? And, and the word sisterly love is included in there. It's like mankind. Mankind consists of male and female, right? So brotherly love would be brothers and sisters. Let this type of love for one another continue. The church is not perfect. Spend enough time with the church, you'll find all kinds of problems and issues. But here's the deal. This is the chosen bride of Jesus, the church is the chosen bride of Jesus. Now, have you ever been with, like, had a friendship with a guy who's gonna get married and you're making fun of his wife? Did you know your wife's fat? 
Did you know that your wife has that thing on her face? Did you know that your wife like snores? Did you know that your wife, like, can you imagine doing that? If you have, you're a jerk, all right? You wouldn't say that to this person, right? But we do that with the church. Jesus, your, your bride is so gross. I, I am the only one within your bride that is worthy enough. I'm gonna leave your bride. I'm going to have my own little wedding ceremony with me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's not about the bride of Jesus and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus. But what that does is it puts you outside of the bride. You can't read the Bible again and find this one man, one woman, and, and Jesus thing. That's just me and Jesus having a relationship. It's not in there. In fact, you can't hear and obey the Bible if it's just you and Jesus. The Bible assumes that you're part of the church, that you're part of the people of God. And it's through being part of the bride, being part of the church, the people of God, that we're changed. That Jesus uses his bride to change us. How? Well, you get brought into a room full of people that are probably very much unlike you. Yes, we're all breathing probably at this moment. It's a bad time to throw probably in there, but we're all breathing. Uh, we're all able to listen. We're all like alive and, and active and moving. Yes, but what do you like to do on weekends? Do you prefer to sleep late or get up early? Um, what's, what's your favorite book? Uh, do you like adventures or not? Like you get into hobbies and these types of things, we become very different. People are more blunt and less blunt. Right? People like death metal and they like Kenny G. Kenny G gets his own category, apparently. Um, but, I mean, this is the church. This is the church, that we're this group of people who are very different being brought together and the only thing we have in common is Jesus. And that screams to the world that, that this is something unlike every other thing. Because you can do CrossFit. Why are you at CrossFit? Because you're doing CrossFit. You can go to happy hour with people in your company. Why? Because you're part of the company. You can join a book club. Why? Because you're all reading the same book. But why are we all here together? Well, because Jesus broke into each one of our lives and transformed us and changed us and helped us to see him and who he is and helped us submit our lives to him. And we didn't get a choice of who we wanted to be in the building with us. That Jesus is, is our key. And he wants us to love the bride. Let, let bride love, let brotherly love continue. Let it grow, let it grow. The temptation though is you're going to experience friction inside of the church. I guarantee you, oh, it's gonna come. And, and I want you to be ready for it because someone's gonna disagree with the way you do something. Absolutely. And, and they won't know what to do with it so they'll like awkwardly say it. And there it is, oh, there's awkwardness, what are we gonna do with it? That the temptation in, in one of those big moments is gonna be to leave. I'm all done with the church, I've tried the church. I don't fit in, I can't fit in, no one loves me, no one respects me, no one, whatever. So the temptation is to live outside of community. But look at what Hebrews tells us about this. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, encourage one another, 
as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need one another because your heart is capable of being so hardened by sin that you leave and actually fall away from following Jesus. It's cap- your heart is capable of doing this. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day that the Lord returns drawing near, that you need the church. When all your feelings say, I don't belong here, I don't wanna be here, go back to passages like Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10. Trust me, I don't wanna be part of the church at times. I wanna quit. I wanna, and if I want that, then I'm certain that you want that as well. And yet my heart goes back to these texts. Uh, The church is good for me. And actually the church needs me, not in the way that I'm providing something for the church, but God has gifted me the same way he's gifted you. And we're bringing these gifts to one another because we need one another. The church is a beautiful demonstration of the reality of the all nations, tribes, tongues work that Jesus is doing. And the world sees Jesus through the love of the church. Listen to what he says in the book of John. A new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus speaking. You love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we work this out is in city groups, which we'll talk about at the very end. Because we know by just doing a Sunday thing, this isn't enough, that we need to be in deep, steady state community with other people. Thirdly, the temptation is, is inhospitableness. I don't even know if that's a word, but I just go with it sometimes. Not being hospitable. Hebrews 13, two. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That last part's really cool. We're just not gonna deal with it. The reality is, is that in the Bible, we see that, that people have been hospitable and it was actually angels being sent by God. That's wild. But I wanna talk about hospitality because stranger danger is real in the church. Did you ever hear that? Like growing up, stranger danger? Maybe it's a me thing. Maybe that whole thing was around me. Someone made a neat little rhyme for me. Stranger danger, right? And like a stranger comes by and they're like, hey, little kid, you want a candy? And then you're like, stranger danger. Like you're supposed, that's supposed to ignite something off in you. Like every piece of candy was a potential horrible thing that was gonna take place. But stranger danger is real in the church. We can become so comfortable in the church. We can like our Bible studies so much. We can like our Sunday gathering things. We can like our class. We can like our our churchly things so much that we forget about our neighbors and friends and family that don't yet know Jesus. So this is for sure a call to be hospitable with people inside of the church, but this is a call to be hospitable towards those who don't yet know who Jesus is. See, we're tempted to keep our lives closed and shut up tight, that, that the problem is out there, not knowing that the problem's actually in here that you think by, by keeping people away from you that somehow you're gonna keep the problem out? No way. It's gonna surface. It's gonna come out. You can't protect your kids. You can, can protect them until they're able to be out on their own. And then it's like, well, I didn't know this world was out here. Or you can walk with your kids through that world and it's like, uh, daddy, why are these people doing this? Well, let me tell you. And like you explain that and you explain it out of the worldview of how God created the world and how brokenness has entered in and how God is changing the world and how the world will be. 
rather than have them try and figure it out when they leave home, it's like instead, I want to like open the shutters, open the doors, leave my house, walk through the city and explain the gospel to my kids and to my, my neighbors and friends as we're living normal life. And here's the reality is that we're so scared of the stranger, but you were the stranger. You were the stranger to God. And God welcomed you in. God welcomed you in. He provided you with everything you needed. On the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of your sin, your penalty. Jesus was born to die, born to suffer. And I know some of you aren't comfortable with that, but that's the reality, that he was born to suffer. And he was, he was born to die so that he could provide you with everything that you need, eternal life, value, meaning, purpose, family, an inheritance that will never be taken away, a dad that will never hurt you, harm you, or abuse you, but will actually build a place onto his home so that, so that you're in close proximity to him. You have everything that you need in God because he was hospitable and now he sends you into the world, not alone, but full of his spirit and with him. I've said this many times before, but God sends his people into the world to be hospitable like a father going to, going to work with his son or daughter or a mom going to work with her mom and dad. Whatever the take your kid to work day. I'm like working all these things out. I'm like, I think I missed some, some things there. Take your kid to work day, all right? That's what God does. Every day he's moving in the city and he says, hey, I wanna take you to work at my, my financial institution that I work at. And, and here's your role. I'm gonna be at work here doing all this stuff and you're here to be my witness, to love and care for the people that are placed here and to declare my goodness to them when it's appropriate. Right? He puts you in your university. He puts you at home with your children. He puts you as a teacher. He puts you uh, at FedEx. He puts you learning French. He puts you in all these places so that you can show and tell of the greatness of your dad and be hospitable to a world that has never experienced this type of hospitality. If you knew Jesus was coming to your house, what would you do? If the people in Bethlehem knew who was actually coming through Mary, what would they have done? They would have thrown people out of rooms, right? Room at the inn, which is a guest room, right? Room in the guest room would have been made for the king of the universe to come, right? This thing would have taken place. But if you knew Jesus was coming today to your house, what would happen? you would be extremely hospitable. Like best wine, best cheese, best baguette, best chocolate, best meat, like best veggie wrap, best whatever, right? You're bringing the best to your table. You're not gonna think about what this is costing me. I want for him to have the best. And yet look at what Jesus says. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on my right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, this is Jesus speaking. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous answered him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
that Jesus is coming to your house. Jesus is living next door. Jesus is at your workplace. And as you're being hospitable with those around you, Jesus is saying, ah, you're doing that to me. So it doesn't matter who they are or how much they hate you or how much they reject you. When you're caring for them, you're caring for Jesus. You're being a servant to him and what he has to say. Victor Hugo says, to love another person is to see the face of God, is to understand that, that God has made this person in their image, in his image, and that to love them is to minister to the Lord himself. The fourth area of temptation is marriage and, and sex, and I'll be really quick about this. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Uh, in the new year, I think just starting January 13th, we're doing a 10-week series, 10 or 12-week, I don't know, uh, called Him and Her. So we're dealing with all the, the topics of Imago Dei, um, masculinity, femininity, um, sex, uh, gender, uh, homosexuality, all those things will be hitting in 10 weeks. So I don't need to say a lot about that now. But here's what I want to say to the church. These are our topics have you ever seen the movie Braveheart? You should have if you haven't. Um, I don't want to be disappointed, so don't raise your hands if you have, because most of you probably haven't, and I love that movie. But there's, there's this, this time where they're at war, and like the army's coming, and Braveheart, Mel Gibson, is saying, hold, hold, and everything in them is like, we want to fight now. We want to go. We want to react. We want to we wanna battle back. The church, we can feel like we just want to throw moral bombs on people. We want to be moralistic. No, that's wrong. Right? But Jesus is saying, hold. Hold the line. Hold it around the resurrection of Jesus. Hold it around the gospel. Don't be those that throw moral bombs. Uh, my wife was telling me, Lauren Daigle, have any of you heard her new album? This, if you want to know what a Christian who does art looks like excellently, Lauren Daigle's album. I don't love the style of music all the time, but... It's amazing, like it's really well done. And she went on to, my wife is telling me the story, so I, I'm sure she got it right. I might be getting it wrong. But Ellen is a lesbian and Lauren Daigle loves Jesus a lot and doesn't agree with that. And, and someone wrote, Lauren, that was your opportunity to preach against homosexuality. And it's like, ah, you're missing it. Lauren Daigle got invited to sing about Jesus and had her album handed out to everyone there and millions of the people heard about the stone being rolled away, Jesus coming out from death and the hope that, that, that he brings. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in the moral and the moral fabric of, of things. But the reality is, is you can get in debate with someone about sexuality, about gender, about money, all these things. And you can, you can say, well, my moral framework is better than yours. And they'd say, your moral framework is lame and oppressive. Here's mine. And you get in this moral battle. But when you hold the line of the gospel and the resurrection, and you say, we can't even have this dialogue really until we talk about, is Jesus alive? Because if, if Jesus isn't alive, we'll do whatever you think is best, whatever I think is best, we'll tolerate one another, and all paths will lead to the top of the, the God, goddess, whatever mountain somehow. But if Jesus did get up out of the grave, 
If he is alive, then he said, there's only one way to God, and that's through me. And that I change people. And that change of ideas and hearts can only come as my spirit enters in. So when we talk about what is marriage and who can be married and we talk about sex and who can have sex with people and who can't and with whom you can and how, like all that stuff, we have to hold the line of the gospel that when questions are, are asked, well, can you be gay and, and be a Christian? I just say, well, that's not really the question. We can get to that question, but the first question we have to ask is, is Jesus alive? Do you know Jesus? Because if Jesus is alive and he's your Lord, then you're gonna take your moral framework and I'm gonna take mine and we're gonna lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, what do you want? You rewrite my framework for me. Now I'll fight you on it, Jesus, but you just got up out of the grave. I'm gonna end up in a grave. You're gonna win. I know you're gonna win. And so this is what we have to do with marriage. And, and sex is that we submit to the resurrection. You see, I, I'm not interested in having you submit sex and relationships to me as a leader. I'm not interested in that. I want you to submit your life to Jesus and let him speak to you about marriage and about sex and sexuality. Because I think he has some very clear things to say. But we can't start with we believe marriage is between a man and a woman. We can't start with we believe the only context for, for sex to take place is in a, a marriage, in the marriage we just defined. We can't start there. We have to start with Jesus because that moral framework seems ancient, old, oppressive, foreign, ridiculous. Unless we submit our lives to Jesus, then it becomes his framework, which is the same today, yesterday, and forever, and is the most beautiful thing in the world. Now, when we talk about marriage and sex, you might not feel like Jesus's plan is what's best for you, but his offer outlasts momentary sex, orgasms, and marriages. He outlasts all of those things. And so the temptation is to play with God's word in these two areas. The temptation is to blame the church as being oppressive and to leave instead of leaning in and saying, okay, I disagree with this. Let's, let's go to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to truly say about this. Because I think it's radically clear. I don't think there's any playing around that God is the same in Genesis as he is in Revelation with marriage and with sex. He doesn't change at all in there. But let's go with submitted hearts to Jesus and see what he has to say to us. And you need community to work this through with. You need community. So the last area of temptation, which is sometimes the biggest for us, uh, is, is this. Money and stuff. Christmas is a time to celebrate materialism and to feel like, you know, I earned the love of this person because of the gift that I gave. Here's what Hebrews 13 says. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? <laughs> Jesus won't ever leave you, money will. Jesus won't ever leave you, forsake you, money will. Money is not your helper. The Lord is your helper, I will not fear. I've never sat with someone on their deathbed, them saying, would you bring me my money? Never. I've sat with multiple people that are dying in their last moments, days, but that what they want is a helper. 
They want real security. They want real confidence. They want Jesus. That money will fail you. And it all belongs to him anyway. You see, what the Lord does is he changes our greedy hearts to be content with what he gives. When you have Jesus, you have everything. In fact, you don't need anything else anymore. You have everything that you need in him. Greed says, never enough. Never enough. Always a little bit more. But the gospel screams at greed, you have everything. Right? The gospel is constantly pounding out the greed in your heart and in my heart. Because what's true is that you have everything. And now you're free to be generous, just like God with his stuff. You're free to be generous just like God and it's all with his stuff. It's like when, when the kids buy presents for the parents. How do kids buy presents for parents when they're young? With the parents' money, right? It's like how much, how much of a good gift do I feel like being given will determine how much money I distribute to my child to go and get that gift for me. This is what God does. God says, I want for you to give, so I'm gonna give to you. <laughs> God doesn't expect you to, to conjure things up from somewhere. He gives through you by already giving it to you to give. It's crazy. So you're free now to be generous just like God with his stuff. And sharing is the sacrifice that's pleasing to God. It's not just a, a virtue on Daniel Tiger. Uh, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As you're making your budget for next year, do you, do you start with, this is what I wanna give? Well, some of you need to make a budget. That's a very good idea. If you're gonna be a steward, you need to make a budget. But I would encourage you to start not with like, my mortgage costs this, my hydro costs this, my rent, whatever. I'd encourage you to start with, Lord, how much do you want me to give this year. And, and for next year, I would, I would encourage, challenge as a place to start of, I'm going to take 10% of my overall earnings and I'm going to start there. That's what I'm going to give. And then what do I want to invest and keep giving with as I grow older and, and put that there and then build your budget around that? What's left? Now that determines my mortgage, my investment in my kids, all that stuff. But we start with generous hearts we start with like a party budget so you don't have to say like, well, like bring your own food all the time, right? It's like, you wanna be hospitable? You have to have some sort of party budget. But start with giving, move to investing and then move to expenses. And, and church, we can't live like we, we can't live like you have more than you do. You can't live like you have more than you do. And so often, the reason why we can't be generous to people is because we're trying to live a bigger life than God has actually called us to live. We're trying to have a bigger house or uh, a bigger car or a bigger whatever. And the Lord has said, you're not content. I've given you this much. Be content with this. Learn to give and be generous out of this. And generosity is beautiful medicine against greed because you can joyfully give things away knowing that his investment is exponential. My investment, I actually know how much I can make on my investments. Like there's a formula telling me that. His investment into his kingdom is exponential. I have no idea where that's gonna go and, and who's gonna be reached and what need is gonna be met. I have no idea, it's, it's gone. 
And it's up to him to then take his money and put it back into his economical system. So I'll wrap up a little bit longer today, but I know you wanted that for Christmas. So (sighs) Merry Christmas. Um, Your gift costs a lot to me, a lot of energy. My watch tells me I made a lot of steps this morning. So uh, what draws you away from Jesus? What draws you, what's the shiny object that gets your attention? What draws you away from him? This morning, gift that to him. He actually wants that shiny distraction given back to him. Let him change you now. Do you believe that God changes you now? This is what he does. He says, ah, today is a day of change. Today is a day of salvation. So we put, we put this, this boundary in our heart that, Lord, I'm gonna refuse to turn to what I want I want to submit my heart to see life from your perspective. And here's the beauty of what he's given. He's given us leaders. He's given us an opportunity to be part of his bride. He's given us opportunity to minister to him by being hospitable. He's given us relationships, marriage. And he's given us resources, money and his stuff. And they're all to be used how he wants So what is it in this list that you want to leverage for you and do it the way that you want to do it? And I'm sure that he wants you to respond because my heart saw how defunct I was in some of these areas in preparing for this week. So how does the Lord want you to respond? This is what we're going to do now. We're going to respond. So I'm going to uh, call up our our music team uh, because we're going to respond through singing. So I'll invite you to stand in a few minutes. We're going to respond by, by taking we call communion. It's representative of the bread and juice and wine that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed in our place. And so we get to be reminded of what Jesus has done, our true living leader who will never die again. We're reminded of the generosity of God by giving. We have a black box uh, there. Uh, Coming to to year's end, we've we've surpassed our our first uh, budget, but the rest of it is that we get to give more uh, away. So we're actually hoping before the end of the year to have about $25,000 more. Um, so is the Lord calling you to be generous and give so that we can give to the nations and new churches that are being planted in Newfoundland, here in Montreal, in Brazil, in India? And then maybe you need prayer or maybe you need to meet Jesus. You're like, I don't, I don't know, but I'm willing to throw my entire life in the ring with, with Jesus and allow for him to lovingly change everything about me to be like him. So in this corner, uh, there will be some people that would love to pray uh, for you. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll respond. Uh, Dad, thank you that you love us. Thank you that uh, you were pleased with us because of what Jesus has done for us. I pray for, for those who don't yet know you, that, that they would know you this morning, that they wouldn't just know facts about you, but truly know you and be brought into relationship with you. That Jesus, your blood was shed, your life was given so that we could be made sons and daughters of God. That's amazing. Thank you that you came to do that for us in our place. Would you, would you rip out our greedy hearts and give us generous hearts? Would you cause us to, to change our view on marriage and sex and allow for those to be rewritten according to what you want? Would you cause us to, to stop being inhospitable but instead see our, our homes as, as hospitals where broken people can come into and be healed by you, Jesus? And we need you to do all of this stuff. So would you help us to respond as you want us to? We love you. Amen.